Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist podcast that knows reproductive healthcare is for everyone. Today we have Ozzy, Laura, and Zoe. And today we're talking about reproductive health care, specifically as it relates to trans, intersex, and queer communities. Um, there have been a lot of rollbacks to both trans rights and reproductive rights recently, which we've, of course, been talking a lot about. Um, so we wanted to do an episode really focusing on those two intertwined issues and some related, hopefully useful information about more general sexual health, safe sex topics. Totally. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to take a minute before we get into that topic to briefly talk about the absolute tragedy that struck in Texas this week. And again, all of these topics are related. As we talked on last week's episode, um, Marxist feminism and bodily autonomy. So please go and listen to that episode if you haven't already. Obviously, there's not much more to say other than if you're a student, a parent of students, or a teacher or a school worker, I'm so sorry. The way that schools have become spaces of terror where there are regular safety drills for if someone came into the school with a weapon um, is detrimental to our collective psyches. Um, And if you've been having an extra rough go of it because of all the violence and also all the stripping of our rights, which obviously is violence in its own right, Remember that it's actually a rational and reasonable response to be mentally ill in this society. Like, please be gentle and soft with yourself as you continue to move forward in this world. It's important for the gay agenda that you keep fighting the good fight. So please take care of yourselves for the long haul. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Laura. Um, I think, yeah, especially just with like all of the terrible bills happening in schools specifically, it's just like a very scary time to be a student. So yeah, for any student listeners that we have, we're sending you all of the support right now. Um, so getting into our topic for this week, um, we started to talk about this a little bit last week about how abortion restrictions, um, the rollback of Roe that we've been seeing has specific negative impacts for trans and intersex people. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about that, get into some data, and also just talk about some ways to deal with these issues um, if you're someone who's not a cis woman who can get pregnant. Um, So often, if you don't look like what people assume a cis woman should look like, regardless of your actual sex or gender, OBGYN offices just will not be super welcoming. Um, We've talked a bit in the past about some of our personal experiences with this. But even if they're fine on like a surface level, um, doctors just don't have as much competence in treating patients who aren't cisgender and endosex, which is the opposite of intersex. So endosex means your body's sex characteristics, like internal, external genitalia, as well as secondary sex characteristics, like breast development, body hair growth, hormones, um, all fit pretty neatly into one sex category. Um, even then this isn't like a hard and fast thing. Like we talk a lot about how gender is not a binary. Sex is also not a binary. There aren't really just these two, like everyone's either male or female. Um, most people have some level of variation in some of these traits, just like an example, you could be a cis endosex man with relatively little body hair, but a relatively deep voice. Those are both secondary sex traits, um, but they can vary within even one person. Um, All these traits are on a spectrum, not a binary. And the quote unquote sexes of male and female are an imperfect attempt to basically sort all of these various varied spectrums that can be different within one person into one single binary that everyone is supposed to fit into. Um, All of that said, most endosex people will be closer to one end than the other on most, if not all of these traits, which is the opposite of the case for intersex folks who are more likely to be on different ends of the spectrum for some of these different traits, 
or to have traits that are on both ends of the spectrum at once. Um, so I bring all of this up just because whether or not you can get pregnant and what type of pregnancy you might have if you do become pregnant can all be different depending on both your endogenous sex. So that's like what we might think of as like your body's natural sex. Um, I just don't love the phrase of like natural versus unnatural to talk about this, but endogenous is basically just like what your body does on its own with no additional medicines put into it. Um, and then any exogenous hormones you're taking. So like additional um, medications you're putting into your body or other gender affirming treatments that can change your body's endogenous state. Um, and this isn't a small proportion of the population. Hopefully most of our listeners know this, but an estimated 1% of people in the U.S. are intersex and a similar proportion, about 1% to 2% um, are estimated to be trans, which adds up to millions of people in both of those categories. And while I don't think we should only care about issues impacting intersex and trans people based on like some arbitrary number of there being enough people to make it important. I do think it's important to highlight that this isn't like such a small proportion of people who can get pregnant. It's actually quite a lot of people. Um, and then like we got into a little bit last week, there's also evidence that there are even higher abortion rates among intersex and trans populations than cis populations, which makes these issues especially relevant. Um, I mentioned this data last week that about 24% of cis women will have an abortion over their lifetime and about 32% of trans people will have one. Uh, there's another study of trans and gender expansive people who are assigned female or intersex at birth that found that about 20% of them had attempted to end a pregnancy on their own. Um, so this is also, you know, a group and an area where a lot of people feel like they have to take their medical care into their own hands because doctors are just not really prepared to offer legitimate care. So for intersex folks specifically, it's only quite recently that the medical establishment has been willing to even like openly talk about intersex identity. Um, in the past, it was common for doctors to do surgery on newborn intersex kids to change the way their genitals looked. Um, which is horrifying. It sometimes happened with parents' consent, sometimes without parents' consent. Um, and these surgeries can often permanently remove someone's ability to have children. Um, so a lot of people don't realize they're intersex until puberty, especially if their parents and or doctors hid that information from them. Um, particularly up until recently, there was a lot of secrecy around these identities. And so if you're intersex, you might not even know that you could be risking pregnancy through certain kinds of sexual activity. Um, but if you know or suspect that you might be intersex and you're sexually active, it's a good idea to do some research on your own to find out what kinds of protection you might want to use to avoid pregnancy and also to find out what type of reproductive options you would have if you do want kids. Um, I think also like trying to talk to your parents and or doctors is a great idea, but obviously folks may not be comfortable with that or be able to do that for various reasons, um, which is why I think like doing your own research is kind of my first uh, go-to advice here. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about like examples of some, intersex is a term that covers like a lot of different types of bodies. Um, so there are a lot of different possible ways that you could be intersex. Um, for example, if you have androgen insensitivity syndrome, you probably have a vagina and no ovaries or uterus. So if you're bottoming, you don't need to worry about pregnancy protection. Um, although of course, STI protection is still a good idea. We're gonna get into that a little bit more later. Um, on the other hand, if you have congenital adrenal hyperplasia, you might have a vagina and ovaries and a uterus, but you might've been told by your doctor that you can't get pregnant because you have high testosterone levels. Um, in fact, while it's less likely you'll get pregnant from unprotected sex, it is still possible. So that's something to be aware of. Um, like, I think a lot of the information out there, it, there's just not a lot of research and doctors will kind of say things that they think are generally true. Um, so it's good to check up on these things on your own as well. Um, and on the other hand, if you want to get pregnant, there are other things that you might be able to do, like taking additional hormones that can make it easier for you to do so. 
obviously finding a trustworthy doctor is also a great goal, but um, that can take a long time, especially one that takes your insurance. And it's, I think, still unfortunately very likely that you'll have to do a lot of self-advocacy. So I think doing your own research and like thinking about your own goals for safer sex and reproduction are a good place to start with that. Um, then thinking more specifically about trans folks, um, similarly, it's been pretty recent that there's any sort of discussion around fertility that goes beyond, like, once you start HRT, you will definitely become infertile, as well as assumptions from doctors that no trans masculine people would even want to get pregnant and no trans feminine people would want to get someone pregnant. Um, I mentioned this last week, but one example, like people are often wrongly told that taking testosterone is an effective form of birth control. Um, again, while it is less likely that you can get pregnant on T, it's still definitely a thing that can happen. So something to think about when considering the type of protection you want to use during sex. Um, similarly, many people are wrongly told that taking testosterone blockers for trans feminine folks will remove their ability to get someone else pregnant. Uh, famously, the plot of Detransition Baby revolves around that not being the case. Um, there has also been some recent research that suggests around 30% of people assigned male at birth who are on HRT have similar fertility levels to people assigned male at birth who are not on any form of HRT. So it's just something to be aware of. Like That does not necessarily mean that your fertility has drastically changed from what it was before. Um, and similar to what I was saying for intersex folks, there are also things that you can do to make it easier to get pregnant if that's your goal. Um, for example, going off testosterone during pregnancy is a pretty typical decision that trans mask people will make. Even if you got pregnant while you were on T, um, just kind of like to avoid introducing adult medication doses to a fetus. Um, there's some evidence that adult testosterone doses can cause harm to a fetus, although I have so far not been able to find any information or research on whether lower doses may be safe. Um, I was just thinking about how, like, in the past it used to be, like, you can never have even, like, one drop of caffeine when you're pregnant, and then we realized, like, that's actually not true. There's, like, some variation. There can be, like, lower levels that are okay. Um, so... I just want to say that I do think it's possible that could be something we'll eventually learn is safe at low doses. But I think this is unfortunately just something that hasn't been studied thoroughly enough yet. So just hammering home how little research there really is in this area. But that is what I was able to find so far. Yeah, totally. Thank you for all that information, Ozzy. I was like, this is some of those scientific terms. I was like, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That's why I feel like it's like have to explain everything because there's there's a lot of new words here. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about fertility preservation, which I think will go well into the next topic Laura's going to get into on, on parenting. And so as Ozzy mentioned, hormone therapy can affect fertility, um, although it does not necessarily, but some trans people will choose to preserve sperm or eggs before transitioning. Um, if they know they want to have biological children or they want that option um, in case it does affect fertility. So I did a lot of, re of research on this because I was working with clients who wanted to do that. And I was trying to help find like affordable options for them. And um, there's, there's really not many. And I think one thing that's like less surprising is that there's just like so much binary language used around like who's like giving sperm and eggs. So I obviously didn't want to send trans clients to places that were going to be like misgendering them. Um, but then even once I could find that were like queer and trans focused were very expensive, very, I'm trying to think of a good word, very like HRC white gay people being like, we yeah. want family to be for everyone. Give us 20 grand. And I was just like, when you said HRC, I've like put her out of my mind so much that oh, I was like, no, did not you mean HRT? I actually meant human rights campaign, not Hillary Rodham Clinton. Oh my God. Okay. Well, too many. HRCs. I love for both of those though. Like, hmm, 
hmm, HRC, haven't heard of it. Did you mean HRT? Yeah, literally. <laughs> like the little like clippy. Yeah, but like similar thing. Just like live, yes. very like live, very like yes. we want everyone to have a family and that's going to cost five paychecks. Yes. And what I mean by that is five people's annual paychecks. Right. Um, <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> for, for sperm retrieval, um, of course, the like actual retrieval is uh, free. They can't really charge for that. But <laughs> there's um, basically like an ongoing rent of a monthly or annual fee to keep it at the right temperature until you want to use it. And so on average, it costs a hundred, a hundred, a thousand for the initial freezing and then 300 to 500 per year after that. And for eggs, the retrieval process is very expensive to begin with. And then similarly, it needs to be kept at a proper temperature. So on average, freezing eggs can be between $30,000 to $40,000. Of course, that means you can do it for a lot less. This is an average. You can also do it for a lot more. Um, But it's just like so dumb for me because like eggs take up literally no space. Like they're not taking up room (laughs) in the freezer. (laughs) That's a great point. but okay we love capitalism exactly um and I just found that like really heartbreaking too because the clients I was working with have little to no income and so that was not accessible for them um which is really sad if that's what they want to be able to do and like especially if they're putting off transitioning until they're able to like preserve sperm or eggs because they want to be able to do both of those things right. and so there's just like so many barriers to being able to do all of do all of those things but I think now Laura's going to talk about other ways that parenting can be difficult to access and exclusionary but maybe also some ways that that it can be cool yeah totally <laughs> we'll roll the dice um well I am not a parent um but I've dated parents um, and in all of these cases, the person I knew was a co-parent with someone who they were with before they came out. So for a lot of these kids, how they seem to their teachers in school or doctors or whatever is that they have divorced parents, um, which is often the case, but it doesn't really bring into play the sexuality or gender dynamics. Um, I guess what I mean to say is I think there's a lot of cool things happening with having kids when you're queer. Someone I went to college with who um, she was in my department and her which was environmental studies and her wife, her current wife was in the bio department. So, you know, like super cute. Anyway, um, she was not the one who was the carrier of the baby, but her wife was. And she looked into how to breastfeed when you're not the carrier of the baby Um And there are ways to do that. And it was really important to her to share the physical and emotional load of breastfeeding and took hormones to make it happen, which I thought was pretty damn cool. That's so cool. I also just wanted to put out there, this is something trans women can do as well um, if they want to. So I I do think it's just like so cool that bodies can do that. Yeah, totally. Like we can feed babies. That's so cool. Regardless of gender. (laughs) It's amazing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, cis men could probably do it too, honestly. Yeah, they, I should say they also could. Um, I assume they wouldn't want to for gender reasons, but you know. Yeah. But if you <laughs> really. Totally an option. If, if you, you really like wanted to. to stick it to the patriarchy at cis men. So true. Contemplate it. Contemplate it. Anyway. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the like, you know, the TikToks that are like, if he wanted to, he would. And then it's yes. like deal breakers. Yeah. Now I will not be going on any dates with cis men <laughs> unless they answer the question if we had children. I don't even want children, but I'm right. be like, if you had children, would you do the breastfeeding? Yeah. Yes. He's like, do you want kids? And you're like, will you breastfeed the kids? That's what I need to know. Yeah. Exactly. Asking the important questions. I'm like, I don't want them anyway, but I want to know if that's the kind of partner you would be regardless. Exactly. No, that I think that's <laughs> so a true. very important question. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, it's probably no surprise to many of you that it is very difficult for queer and trans couples to adopt babies. Many states have laws preventing people from adopting due to, this is major air quotes, religious freedom. Woo! 
Like, that's why people don't want gays to get married either. Like, they're like, mm, it's infringing on my religion for you to have autonomy over your own life. Uh, I know. Gross. <laughs> also, there are a lot of religious adoption agencies, such as places like Catholic Charities. So they have their own organizational rules against adoption for queer and trans couples. This is pretty messed up because there are a whole bunch of young people who need families and homes. It's important to note that research has shown time and time again that children raised by queer parents experience no difference in emotional difficulties than those raised by straight couples. And with the makeup of the American family changing as opposed to what it was like 50 years ago, um, single parenting and queer parenting is a new normal for lots of children. Um, but that's obviously depending on your region and stuff like that. Like there are areas where that is still uncommon. Okay. Yeah. So, but then, you know, as we know, there are a lot of people out here. I feel like I'm like the leftist equivalent of a right wing up pundit right now because I because of what I'm about to say <laughs> which I'm here for I'm making I'm making a tongue-in-cheek joke I'd like of, to think that's what we are exactly um exactly are we pundits <laughs> I have a great question like by definition like what's a pundit yeah that's a good question like does it have to be live an expert in a particular subject or field who's frequently called on to give opinions about it to the public. Well, are we called on by the public? <laughs> Listeners, like, you tell though. us. Yeah. I want to know what each of are our, like, Kellen, who unfortunately has COVID. We love you, Kellen. Not able to be on this week. Kellen obviously has an area of expertise in history. So, Kellen, definitely a pundit. Right. I'm also like Which, Zoe, master of gender. That sounds like you. an expert. In but I also am a But like, <laughs> do we all talk about gender? What makes you? Um, I don't even. I don't know. Yeah, Laura, don't even asking. I'm the sorry. You're questions. right. I could. I could never. <laughs> I could never. <laughs> but I feel like aren't we all? Like I feel like the podcast. Like we're like a panel of pundits of like leftist feminism like that's the podcast yeah well yeah you We're know a panel co- of pundits, yeah. pundits. <laughs> one of the tomato two, tomato both like by the dictionary definition because like you could argue that our instagram is the public and people have called on us to give opinions true through there very true i and mostly so, i just think pundit has like a negative connotation well, yeah because mainstream media is the disgusting good version of it. yeah but i think we should reclaim so we're reclaiming, we're reclaiming it. it okay <laughs> yes so here's my example anyway me being a left-wing <laughs> yes, pundit please. A lot of people who are pushing the straight agenda think that every child needs a man and a woman to raise them so that they have the benefits of both of these genders. That was my pundit voice. Okay, so I mean, there, there's that was li- an incredible pundit voice. Thank you. I was like, Ben Shapiro, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> is he a pundit? No. <laughs> <sighs> Listen, if anyone tells me that I am a man or am (laughs) (laughs) that's just not acceptable. (sighs) Anyway, um, you know, like there's so much to unpack with the idea that children need to be raised by a man and a woman. But obviously, young people can have role models of all genders. Like parents aren't the only adults in a young person's life, like to begin with. Anyway. I do want to touch on a similar thing with foster parenting. I know a lot of queer and trans couples who have either looked into or actually started fostering, but even if they start the fostering process and have youth in their care, there are issues and complications that couples face with keeping young people in their home, Um, which is wild because a lot of foster homes are not necessarily loving spaces. A lot of them are, but it's obviously a very complicated um system which we talked about on an episode recently yeah what episode was that 
no I idea. I was punditing was that hard. That you you definitely were doing the <laughs> most remember. on that episode, Zoe. I punted it hard. Yeah. Um. Well, it was semi-recent, so you could take. Oh, was it like um when we were talking about don't say gay because we were talking about like kids. Oh like child yeah, welfare? probably. Yeah, we were talking a lot about being um, mandated reporters. So I probably, like about, yeah, probably. Don't say gay. It might have been in that episode. Okay, sounds right. Go so, check it out. So find go it. check out go the be gay to do all crime. of our episodes, and you will find it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so obviously, in a world filled with so much hate and violence, it's like mind blowing that people believe that any form of love could be a bad thing. Um, we hate to see it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for all of that, Laura. It's really nice to hear, like, I don't know, some of the more positive things about queer parenting. (laughs) Um, I feel like I've just been thinking about queer and trans parenting a lot recently with all of the bills targeting queer and trans youth. Um, It's interesting to me that even though like a lot of these bills are targeting kids, but then they're also positioned as like, quote unquote, protecting kids from queer and trans adults in their lives who might like try to provide them with actual information about what it's like to be queer and trans. Um, And I feel like partly because of these bills and just the general climate, it's just making it so much more suspect for queer adults to be around kids at all, much less make the decision to parent. Um, And I mean, we've already started to see some stories come out of Florida, for example, where their don't say gay bill became law, where teachers who are queer or are suspected to be queer are getting fired for something as simple as like, not punishing students for discussing the students own sexuality. So it's like, not even the teacher discussing their sexuality. It's like, just creating a welcoming, open classroom environment. Um, And this type of thing, like people being fired for suspected queerness, is something that used to happen fairly often in the 70s and 80s, kind of during the time where LGBTQ people started to have like a little bit more physical safety in being open about their sexuality, but still faced a lot of discrimination in terms of like employment, housing, um, which obviously still happens, but Over time, a lot of individual states pass laws to make employment discrimination on the basis of sexuality illegal. Um, One fun fact I found when I was researching this, Pennsylvania was actually the first state to ban employment discrimination based on sexuality on a statewide basis back in 1975. So go Pennsylvania. We call that the Pennsylvania gaze. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Um, so uh, Pennsylvania is fucked for yeah. literally so many fucking reasons. So in my mind, in my like stupid ass mind, this was funny only because like I associate Pennsylvania with like fucking fracking and creating me. Well, obviously, that's what I some of the best with. people that's I know are from Pennsylvania yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um. But anyway, good good job on that one, Pennsylvania. Um, this all doesn't mean that employers totally stop discriminating, but it did become a lot harder to prevent queer adults from working with kids just because of their sexuality. Um, and then, of course, in 2020, there was the Supreme Court ruling in Bostock v. Clayton County that made it illegal nationwide to fire someone just based on them being queer or trans. Um, And as I'm sure people have heard about, we've talked about this a little bit, that is one of the rulings that could potentially be in question after Roe was struck down because it relies on some similar legal principles about the right to privacy. Um, But I think just as concerningly, we're already seeing states or, you know, employers in states firing people just for being gay again they're using new justifications for doing so based on these new terrible laws they've made up. Um, But it's like, we're seeing these forms of discrimination that felt like we had sort of defeated them to a large extent coming back. Um, So I don't know. All of this is basically just to say that making sure queer and trans adults have the ability to parent and care for kids in whatever way they want to, if they want to, is very much at risk right now. 
And it feels like a really important time to be advocating for that in whatever way you can in your own communities. And finally, on a more positive parenting note, um, I just wanted to talk about some recent scientific advances in the field of parenting and birth. Um, So little backstory, in 2012 in Sweden, there was a series of the first successful uterus transplant procedures. Um, The very first one was a mother donating her uterus to her daughter, which I think is very cute. Um, But basically, these were all procedures for cis women who were born without a uterus or without a fully functioning uterus. Um, About two years after the initial procedures, at least one of them successfully gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Um, And more recently, similar procedures have been carried out successfully and led to successful healthy births in the U.S. in 2016 and in India in 2017. So this brings me to kind of the newer update, which is that one of the surgeons who works on this research in India announced earlier this month that he thinks the science is there now to safely try this procedure for a trans woman, and he has plans to move forward with this at some point soon. Um, We likely won't hear for sure about this until after the procedure has happened, since obviously there are privacy concerns with like disclosing too much information in advance, Um, but that's something we can hope to hear about potentially even later this year, but hopefully in the near future. Um, So that is our birth and parenting section. And now we're going to move on to talking a little bit more about safer sex and contraceptives. Yeah. Okay. First, I just want to clear my name. According to the internet, Ben Shapiro is a pundit. No, no, no. (laughs) I just was disgusted at his name. Oh, okay. I thought you, because I said, is he a pundit? And that was like when you said no. So I I just was like, and I was like, oh, I don't know what a pundit is. Oh my God. No. Oh my God. I was just like, do not compare me to this man. This fucking man. Anyway, no. Yes, he's a pundit. Sorry if I made you feel invalidated, but I was just like, the only word I could say was no. 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 I didn't feel invalidated. I just need to confirm that Ben Shapiro was a pundit. (laughs) Yes, I think we do have a good grasp of the term. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Anyway, we're going to talk about safer sex now. So... Well, first, I have a little story because I was at the doctor today for my annual physical. I already told Laura this story. Brag. (laughs) Brag. I'm getting my health checked out. Um, But I was laughing. My doctor wasn't laughing, but I was laughing Um, because while we were doing some other things, she was like, do you want an STD screening? And I was like, sure. Every time I offered one, I just say yes. Yeah, of course. That's what you do. You just say yes. And she was like, how many partners have you had since your last screening? And I was like. Um, I honestly don't know. And it's not like, yeah. also, it doesn't really matter if there has been a lot. It's just like, it's not like there has, I just truly, I don't know. Like, I don't remember yeah. when my last screening yeah. was. I feel like I was thinking about it because like, I guess like I often will just like go in just to get an STI test. And usually when I do that, they always just ask, have you had any new sexual partners Mm. since you were last tested? And then I can just be like, yes, and not have to like count. Yeah, (laughs) I was thinking about it after you said that. Unless it's like that's never happened. I feel like you might just not remember. I'm very forgetful. So yeah, no one has asked me the number. People have asked me like, have you had new partners? Were they what like what was their physical makeup basically yeah um which is its own bullshit thing but well not too bullshit we'll get into (laughs) some of that exactly (laughs) yeah so but i appreciate because some doctors are definitely worried about it she was a very good sport she was just like okay cool well we'll just do the screening and I was like, okay, I'm not like worried about it. Cause like I do get checked Thank regularly. You. I just like, don't know when specifically the last time was. And like, I don't like track right. every time. I, I feel that way right. every time they're like, I don't know. Like when is the last time you had a pap smear or whatever? I'm like, I don't know. Isn't it your job to know this? <laughs> like why would I job. know? <laughs> that's your job. I don't know. Like I don't know. Che- do you want to, do you want to check my texts? I, yeah, I don't know what to please. tell you. Right. Um, So not about my pap, about my sex life. (laughs) 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 I did also get a pap today. I'm look, I'm taking care of everything. Yeah. So 
Anyway, safer sex refers to ways that you can reduce the risk of contracting STDs and STIs. And they can spread depending on, depending on which one through, um, any like type of bodily fluid exchange through genitals and orally. Um, so for more specific info on that, you can return to our episode from a couple of years ago at this point called herpes and other things you should only worry about a little, um, a hit classic really. Truly. (laughs) But we're gonna, yeah, talk about a, a few related things now. So first want to talk a little about dental dams. So if you don't know, a dental dam is, um, either latex or what the fuck is it called? Po- poly polyethylene. What is that? Yeah, how it's it's like nitrate. Polyurethane. Sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> I can like never like, pronounce that word. Plastic. Yeah, the non-latex one. Yeah, um, like a sheet that you use for cunnilingus for oral sex of the vulva. In between the vulva. I would like everyone mouth. to know that when Zoe wrote this out, they wrote it dental dam. D A M N. Did I? Oh my god! Yeah. There I did, but there I didn't. Yeah. No, I know. I just. That's funny. I love. That's it. funny. Dental dam. Dental dam. <laughs> um. I also just wanted to share some info on how you can make a DIY dental dam because that's fun. Oh, yes. Um. I love this. So crafty. Thank you. So, if you don't have a dental dam handy, but you have either a condom or like a you know latex or other like. Uh, rubber plastic glove or whatever you like you know cut off the fingers or cut off if it's a glove or cut off the tip if it's a condom and then you're left with either like a a tube of the condom or the hand part of the glove and then you just cut a slit through it so that it becomes like a flat sheet and then there you go that's a dental dam amazing totally there's your hack there's your life hack if you ever need to reform cunnilingus and you're like i don't have a dental dam but I need to be safe about this for yeah. whatever reason. There you fucking go. As discussed on our what you may not have learned in sex ed, um, <laughs> I'm not personally a, a fan of dental dams. I'm not th- either. I think that they like. I have to say, I mean, I think this is a stereotype, but like, I've never heard of anyone using them. Oh, well. Like, literally ever. So I did tell this story on that. Episode. I was gonna say I have, <laughs> but I have partially from Laura and and a few other. Like, okay, I mean that's an exaggeration, but yeah, many have tried. Tell your story. Have many. Succeeded. Someone was just pretty concerned, and they like you know, Ozzy's gonna give us some information in a moment that I think for me has made me feel safe enough to when I'm having this type of sex, not use a dental dam. Um, but this other person felt safer, and of course, like that's what I was gonna do. Um. And this was a dental dam that was actually fashioned into underwear. So you like put it on and there's like a the plastic kind of covers everything or the latex covers everything. But like the thing is you just don't – the clit needs more. You need m- more traction. The there. clit needs to breathe. The clit needs more. <laughs> Justice for the clit. Um, <laughs> Free the clit. <laughs> anyway obviously stay safe there's no shade in it but as in terms of actually orgasming it's like makes it really difficult yeah that's i also know that if you like don't have dental dams you can use uh like a sheet of saran wrap which could also potentially be easier to like fashion into some sort of like underwear diaper type situation um but yeah i was just gonna say like as we've talked about many times, there's just not enough research on like how STIs work in people with vaginas, but the risk of exchanging STIs through oral sex with a vagina seems to be pretty low. Um, If there's no blood present, like, um, I don't know, if you don't have like open cuts or on your period um, or engaging in some other form of blood play, then the risk seems to be pretty low for more serious infections like HIV and hepatitis A. Um, It is possible to transmit herpes this way, um, also HPV and some other more minor infections that can be like cured. Um, So, you know, it's always a good idea to use protection and or like get tested regularly if you're not always using protection for this type of sex. 
I will say one fun thing I read about today that I hadn't really thought about is like, if you are using saran wrap or a large dental dam, you could do like full, like anal play, vaginal play without like worrying about exchanging fluids and like potentially giving someone a UTI. Um, so that is like an additional benefit, but yes, I think, um, it, it can be hard to have satisfying oral sex that way. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. And I do. Yeah. The main practical use that I'm aware of or of experience is with like when there is like herpes present, like currently like a current outbreak or something. Right. Right. Um, but definitely, you know, there's other options and we're going to get to that (laughs) depending on the situation. So also I'm not really going to explain what this is. I'm going to really hope you all know, but I just wanted to give like a quick little shout out to condoms. We love them. If they apply, you should use them. Hell yeah. Yes, absolutely. Also gloves for like fingering, hand jobs. Um, This is again, an area where like the risk of contracting more serious STIs is pretty low if there's no blood involved. Um, There are more additional risks with anal sex and rimming. Um, So using gloves or dental dams can, like I was saying, it just makes it easier to do like anal play without having to worry about possibly like exchanging bacteria there um but yes both condoms and gloves are often made of latex so it's also just like something to think about if you have a latex allergy you might want to seek out a specific type of glove that does not have latex there's also um like polyurethane several um condoms that are made with other yes materials too because i have one i have a latex allergy Um, so there are people I know who have vulvas, vaginas that love when their partner uses gloves when they're going down on them. Um, and part of that is because their partner prefers longer nails. So having the glove makes that like issue with having longer nails, not really an issue because it Mm. creates kind of a soft barrier between the nail and the vagina. Anyway, just another pro tip. Also, if you have really long nails, but you still want a top, you can put like a little cotton ball or something in the glove at the tip. So it just makes it like basically removing the risk you're accidentally going to cut through the glove and like ruin your safe sex barrier and or stab your partner. No, I literally (laughs) have been stabbed in the cervix. So be safe. Yeah, not not who amongst us. Um, I also, mean, that's also if, just a good, like, trim your nails in general. I was about to having, say, if yeah. you're a top or a switch or you're doing anything inside someone with your fingers, trim your fucking nails. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah, because then that's also where, like, you know, if you cut someone, first of all, ow. Right. Second of all, then that's introducing blood, additional layer. fluids. Exactly. Like, mm. yeah, so it can help with, like, safe sex It's literally well. a health hazard. So yes, also safe sex in the literal sense of like not harming your partner yes. unintentionally. Um, yes. So uh, next up on our list is sex toys. Um, so we have a whole sex, sex toy toys app. are great. Yes, we do. Um, so just like quick refresher on safe sex with sex toys. Um, Obviously, there is always the option of using condoms if it's like a vaguely dick-shaped toy. Um, And of course, you can also use things like dental dams or like a sheet of plastic wrap if it's a different shape. Um, Personally, for sex toys, I like silicone because you can boil it to disinfect it, which basically means that you don't need to use condoms with new partners to prevent STI exchange. You can just like boil it in between using with different people. Um, that said, don't boil toys that like vibrate or have other electrical parts. This will break them oh, and boil. will all be very sad. I thought you said you can oil it. And I was like, what have I been doing? Wrong? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, well, the other thing is if you're using something that's non-porous, like glass, for example, then you can really just like wash it with soap and water. Um, or they're also, yeah. Um, so true. Wow fancy um i mean like i mean like rose quartz (laughs) not like 
diamonds. Okay, yes. I was, oh, I was imagining I knew diamonds. What you meant. Oh, oh, I know you do. <laughs> Zoe knows every single sex toy that I have. <laughs> Take That's with that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um what was i oh also there's like uh you know like special sex toy cleaners you can buy they're basically just gentle soaps so you can also use like if there's a soap that you use on your vulva or other sensitive areas you can use that on a sex toy um and also just quick thing about lube and safe sex um i think this is like pretty well known at this point but you can use silicone or water-based lubes with latex condoms and gloves, but don't use oil-based lubes because they will degrade the condom and or glove and can stop it from being a safe sex barrier. Um, and I like water-based lube because you can also use it with silicone sex toys, which you cannot use silicone-based lube for. Similar issue, it will degrade the toy make it more likely that bacteria and stuff can grow. Mm-hmm. I also just want to say really quickly that water-based lube is much better for you if you are prone to yeast infections or anything like that. Um, hmm. It's it That's like is really, I, as someone who ha- has that issue, which we'll get into more in a moment too, um, it is the lube to use. Yeah, I was going to say also, I didn't know if that was like scientifically accurate, but I have personally found that it's like better for me just in terms of sensitivity and like, yeah, not not getting infections. So absolutely. We love lube. <laughs> if you listen, we do to, love lube. If this you listen to our um, things you probably didn't learn in sex that episode recently, you know that we love lube. Of course. I actually, this is such a digression, <laughs> but when I got my nose pierced recently for listeners who can't so see. Good. They, they got their so much. Stop they them. used lube. Wait, and oh, I was actually, like, I was what kidding. can't lube do? No, oh, they literally wow. used lube Wait, like, to like, I feel like it was um, on because you have to like connect like the needle to the jewelry and everything. And it was oh, yeah. like. On, wow. the, on all of that to just help like slide it through and I was like wow what can't wow. lube do like truly what can't lube do wow <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> the more you know right so I wanted to talk a little bit about prep and pep so both are used for HIV prevention um prep is a prevention method that's used by people who are HIV negative and at high risk for being exposed to HIV through either um sex or um injected drug use and so when basically the way it works simplistically is that if someone's exposed to HIV through either of those things um the medicine can work to keep the virus from establishing an infection in the first place and then um, the other option, PEP, is um, when people use an antiretroviral drug for people who are HIV negative after a single high-risk exposure to stop HIV infection. So it has to be used as soon as possible to be effective, usually within 72 hours of a possible exposure and continued for, it's like a four-week um pack basically. And so that's like, if you have sex with someone who you don't know their status or you find out like you didn't know, but you find out later is HIV positive or anything like that. Um, you, you can do that. And so these are available at clinics and harm reduction facilities, urgent care, doctor's offices, um, et cetera, depending on like what you have access to. So if that's a concern, that is um, a good option. The next thing, um, shout out to peeing after sex. Shout out. <laughs> it's like such a turnaround <laughs> from that. Um, peeing after sex. So great way to flush out bacteria, um, no, no matter the genitalia that you have and avoid uh, UTIs amongst other things. Yes. Um, this also is a thing that affects yeast infections. I, I like I feel like I know people who either get UTIs or yeast infections and it's usually one or the other. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I, for like, me, it's UTIs. Yeah, I'm a it's yeast just... infection bitch. Um, I'm also a yeast infection. Oh, bitch. Yeah. yeah. Although, wait, <laughs> one time I had both at the same time. I've heard of that. Yikes. Sounds like oh, my boy. literal nightmare. No, no. Yeah. My, my response like to that hell. is no. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I just want to say that particularly if you are doing PIV sex, 
um, and you're not using a condom, you can transmit yeast infections to your partner. Um, this happened, yes. and um, the person I was with at a time, I was like 19 when this happened to me, and the person I was with at a time, shout out to an abusive psychopath, um, literally wanted to saw his dick off because it was like so itchy, he like could not handle it. Anyway, that's my little story time about yeast infections and how they can spread. If you want to, like, get back at someone who's evil, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is a joke. This is a joke. But I'm just being silly because the world is an apocalypse. <laughs> you know, sometimes yes. sometimes you need to spite your enemies yes. with a little sexiest infection. A little yeast. <laughs> But yes, um, that's exactly the type of thing when I was saying, like, you know, other other minor infections. It's like they are minor in that they are easily cured, but they can really hurt. So, yeah, yes, yes, the type yeah. of reason why one might use protection. <laughs> yeah. So, just wanted to conclude this section um, by by saying that a lot of STDs and STIs are very treatable. So. Just like keep an eye on things, get checked, get your screenings, get your paps. I I got mine today, brag. brag. Um, so yeah, depending on what of that applies to you, just just do the things and like be upfront and communicative with the people you have sex with. And it's all good. Have fun out there. Have fun out there. <laughs> have fun out there. <laughs> have fun. And have safer sex. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our episode. Um, Hope you liked it. If you learned something or just had fun listening to our nonsense, then you could give us some money on Patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch, where you can also join our discord, where I guess we'll be discussing whether or not we're pundits. So if you want to weigh in on that, um, sign up now. And other important debates uh, yes other important topics of the day as pundits um, do exactly so true um you can also follow us on twitter and instagram at season of the b email us at season of the b at gmail.com and visit our website season of the b.com uh and rate review subscribe on itunes spotify say nice things about us please Please, we're tender hearted bitches. <laughs> please. <laughs> please. Thank you. Please. <laughs> Love you. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Bitch.